Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Today we conclude our series. We, we took a small break, even though what we talked about last week is what really matters. I think it's important. We finish our What Really Matters series this week. We concluded, and really the whole premise of this series has been based around reimagining what Jesus envisions the church to be, what he wants the church to look like. So in the first few books um, of the book of Revelation, there's a man named John, and it says that John was worshiping in the spirit. So I don't know if, you know, he was in his prayer closet, if he drove down the road to his local church, whatever it is, he's, uh, but he's there, he's worshiping, right? And, and as he's worshiping, um, a sound like roaring water, right? A thunderous voice begins to speak to John. And lo and behold, who is it but Jesus himself? And Jesus says to John, he goes, listen, everything I'm about to share with you, this vision, every, all this information I'm about to download on you, he goes, I want you to write it down and share it with the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So John's staying there, he's, he's sitting there, he's, he's worshiping, then all of a sudden he's completely caught off guard by the presence of Jesus. But Jesus just begins to speak to him, and he starts telling him basically the good, bad, and the ugly of each of these seven churches, and then it's John's job to um, carry out this message to these seven churches. So I think for us, being a church, I think it would almost be foolish if we didn't take the time to observe and study and learn what is God speaking to these churches? What, what is he saying? What, what does Jesus commend? What, what does he rebuke? What does he love? What does he confront? And I think we can read through these different letters and we can glean for ourselves for Destiny Church. What does God envision Destiny Church to look like? What, it, what does a church look like that actually pleases the Lord and is effective in the kingdom? And, and here's the deal. As, as we've gone through these churches the past couple of weeks, I, I don't want us to just listen to and read about what Jesus desire, desires his church to look like. But my prayer is as we sit and, and as we've sat under these messages and as we listen, that we'd look inwardly, collectively, but also individually and ask ourselves the imperative question, are we a church that pleases the Lord? Are we a church that pleases the Lord? And can we as a church be more effective? So I've been challenged by this series. I've enjoyed it. Um, I, I think this is my second favorite series we've done in this building. Um, I, I think my first one was asking for a friend last summer. I enjoyed that one. But this one has also been um, awesome and, and I've enjoyed it. So I'm excited as we talk about our seventh and final church, Laodicea. Y'all ready? All right, you guys sound excited. Praise God. Here we go. No, let's, let's pray. Come on, Jesus, we invite you into this room. Father, right now, uh, I pray that you'd prep the heart of everybody under this voice. And God, maybe they're sitting in the room right now. Maybe they're listening to this on a podcast and it's been three weeks. Father, I pray that you would till the soil of our heart right now. Help it be fertile ground as the seed of your word goes forth. Let it take root in that soil. Let it grow to produce fruit in our lives. Father, we can come in here every week and we can listen to your word and walk out the same. Or we can take the information and we can apply it to our lives. And God, I believe information and application is, is that's where we're gonna find transformation in Jesus. So Father, we love you um, and bless this word in Jesus' name, amen. 
So if y'all weren't already aware, um, there are some, for lack of a better word, strange Bible stories. Amen. I think that's a series we, a series we could do, like strange stories. <laughs> a unique peek at the Bible, you know? Sounds pretty good, huh? So I want to quickly touch on this story that I found in 1 Corinthians 5. And I understand there, there might be kids in the room, and I understand this isn't the most tasteful um, nor G-rated way to kick off a Sunday morning message. But then again, y'all have been listen, listening to me preach for about a year now, so no excuses here. There shouldn't be any surprises. First time guest, my name's Pastor Mark, and I like to party. Come on. So in 1 Corinthians 5, Remember, this is Paul's letter to the Corinthians and, and Paul's writing and Paul catches word. There's a guy in the church who, for just to be frank, is, is sleeping with his father's wife. And Paul's not happy about it. And the, in the context of the situation, this has just been allowed to exist. Now, why this is such a problem is because this is one of the members of the church. This is a so-called believer and how many know that's not what Jesus' followers do, right? So Paul writes to this church and he says, listen, y'all, y'all, are just, y'all are just ignoring what's going on here. Paul has some strong words for the church in Corinth and how they're supposed to deal with this specific situation. But I, 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 this isn't my key passage for this morning. There's really one kind of one thing principle I, I want to pull from here, but I'll share the full story and then we'll and then we'll move on to Laodicea. Does that sound okay? All right. So First Corinthians five verses one through five it says this. This is again Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that not even pagans tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. He's like, there's not just sexual immorality, like boyfriend and girlfriend's doing it before they're married. Like, this is, this is a kind that, like, not even pagans do. This is evil. This is wicked. And then he goes on to say, and, and you're proud. He says, shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put off um, your fellowship, the man, put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? He says, for my part, even though I am not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. He says, as one who is already present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit, the power of our Lord Jesus is present. He says, hand this man over to Satan. These are some strong words. He says, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit might be saved on the day of the Lord. So just to sum this up, Paul's writing and he says, listen, there's a man who, who, who's, he, he has evil, wicked behavior and it's in the church and it's gone unconfronted. You haven't challenged him. You haven't called it out in him. You haven't done anything. And this behavior is entirely unacceptable. This doesn't represent who Jesus is. This doesn't represent the body of God. You can, you can almost hear, you can, there's a little bit of tone in Paul's voice where he's like, listen, church, what are we doing? He he says, me, being a man of God, I've already consulted with Jesus. I know how Jesus feels about this situation. This doesn't please him. And then then again, some strong words. He equates excommunicating this man for for a season or for a moment from the church. He he, uh, uh, equivalates excommunicating him to handing him over to Satan. What, What does that say about the power of the church, right? Where if you're to be cut off from this, 
you're being handed over to Satan, but, but he does it for a graceful reason, for a purposeful reason. And I know this isn't like, this isn't the way church does, does things today, and this isn't the way we handle things now. But again, that's not, that's for another sermon on another day. That's not what I want to focus on. But Paul's saying, listen, we need to separate himself so his flesh will be destroyed so he can thrive in the spirit. How many know that God disciplines those he loves? Amen. So let's skip down to verses six and eight. First Corinthians five, verses six and eight. Paul continues to write. He says, your boasting is not good. And then he says this, don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? I'm gonna read that again. Don't you know that, everyone say yeast. He says, don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? He says, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. And then this gets a little wordy here, but I'll try to break it down. It says, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul, again, goes on to explain why he wants to remove this man whose sin has been unconfronted and has just allowed to exist. He says, this, this man's little bit of sin, it's like yeast. And, and if you don't deal with it properly, if you don't remove him from the gathering and the assembling, his sin will infect and pollute the entire body. Just so you need to remove them. So I want to do, uh, this is going to get a little deep, and it's going to get a little deep fast, okay? And, and then we're going to come back out of it. So everyone, put on your air tanks, hang with me for a minute here, we'll be okay, all right? Now yeast, everybody say yeast. Yeast or leaven is, is a powerful fungus that causes bread to rise. And a little bit of yeast can make an entire batch of unleavened dough, so bread that doesn't have yeast in it, it can cause the entire bread to rise. So a little bit of yeast in dough can change the entire consistency of the whole batch, okay? Now, does everybody remember um, Moses from the Old Testament? God visits him through a burning bush and then he wants to use Moses to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt because the Israelites are in slavery in Egypt. Everyone remember this? Okay, so there's, there's 10 plagues, and, and God sends these 10 plagues on Egypt trying to basically uh, shake Pharaoh's grip on the Israelites loose so they can be free and start their new life in, in freedom. They can be liberated from their slavery. So he, he brings a plague, but Pharaoh's heart remains hard, and he still, wants to hang, he still wants to hang on to the Israelites. Then he brings another plague, and his heart remains hard, and then he brings on another plague to try to get him. He says, and Moses visits him, and he says, listen, if you don't let your people go, he's like, this is going to come. If you don't let your people go, this is going to come. And there's a tenth and final plague, and it's the death of the firstborn in every family in the land. But God speaks to the Israelites. He gives instruction to the Israelites. He goes, but there's a way for this plague to avoid you guys, and to avoid your firstborns, and to avoid your families. So this, this angel of death that's going to be coming as, as the 10th plague, to avoid that, God gives them very detailed, specific instructions. He says, I want you to kill a lamb. I want you to smear that lamb's blood on your doorposts. I, you I want you to eat that lamb, right? He gives specific instructions on how to prepare the meal. He even gives them specific instructions on how to dress. 
And you'll notice as you go through and you study, the way he tells them to dress is the way that you would dress if you were about to travel. The way he tells them to prepare food, it's so there will be no leftovers. And then the way he tells them to prepare the bread, the, uh, to have unleavened bread, is because if the yeast was to take part in the bread, that's a slower process. To change the consistency of the bread and to get that to rise, it's quicker to make unleavened bread. Okay? So like I said, right before Moses is about to lead them out, he gives them this detail. They, they have their meal. They, they smear their blood. The angel of death passes over, right? The, the people of God are spared. Now the reason God wanted them to prepare in this way, and he gave them the details and, and spoke it like this, is because he was going to swiftly remove the Israelites from Egypt, and they had to move fast. That's why God gave him specific instructions where normally you say, why, why would you wear your belt to dinner? But this is, this is what God wanted to do. He wanted to remove them fast. So now specifically think about the bread. Okay, so no yeast in the bread to have it unleavened. So now after, they, after the Jews, y'all still with me? So after the Jews pass through the Red Sea, they get on the other side. God speaks to Moses and say, I want, you to rem- I want you to annually remember this by having a Passover meal every year, remembering when death passed over. Okay, now this is a holiday, and I've talked a little bit about this in church, so maybe some of you aren't hearing this for the first time, but this is a holiday that Jews still annually celebrate today. The Passover, right? God, them, God protecting the people, death passing over them, so we can fast forward to the New Testament where we see Jesus at the table with all of his disciples and he's celebrating Passover with all of his disciples. So what kind of bread does he have? Unleavened bread, bread without yeast. Now we, we have to remember in the scriptures what I, what I think is imperative to know is that yeast always represents evil or sin, Okay. So Jesus is sitting at, uh, at the supper with his disciples. He has the unleavened bread. But now he says something is- interesting. He says, when you take this, I, I don't want you just to remember what, how God rescued the Jews out of Egypt. I want you to remember me. When you, when you take this, remember they're at Passover. When you take this bread, I, I want you to remember me. So now when we take communion... We take communion with what is supposed to be unleavened bread, right? And we remember what Jesus did. Remember how he laid down his life and and he made a way. He took us from the sin of our slavery into freedom in Jesus, right? A new covenant. Wasn't just about the Jews anymore. It was for all people. He was making a way. So with this unleavened bread, um, or, or let me go back here. So, um, so, so now we, what we take what we know is communion. When, when we take communion, we're remembering the person of Jesus, the sacri- sacrifice he made for all of us, and how he made a way for all of humanity to be reunited with the, with the Father. It's important to know Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. I love this verse in John 6. It says this, John 6, 51. It says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for you, or give for the life of the world, is my flesh. 
One theologian puts it like this, and I think it's so good, and we'll revisit this quote, but he says, as the Jews who celebrate Passover do so with unleavened bread, he says, so believers celebrate their continual Passover with unleavened lives. So as we remember what Jesus did, right? Lives without yeast, lives without sin. We live new lives. I love that. I thought that was powerful. So I, I just thought that was interesting that, you know, that, that thought about yeast, what it, what it represents. I just thought that was interesting. Um, but I want to set all that down for a minute, leave that alone. And then I want to pick up this study on the church of Laodicea and, and see what God has for us in that letter. So uh, the church of Laodicea, remember, Jesus is speaking to John. So let's go back to the beginning. Jesus is speaking to John about the seven different churches. And, and today, the purpose of today is we want to observe what Jesus had to say about the seventh and final church. Now, if we're going to understand exactly what Jesus is saying to John, I think it's important that we understand the background and the, and the uh, historical, cultural context of Laodicea and what's going on in the church and what's going on in the surrounding city. Now, there's a lot of great things about the city. Laodicea, was, it was built up on a plateau, so they had good defense from their enemies, and it, was hard, it would be hard for someone else to attack. But they were known for kind of these three different things, and, and the first one was this. Uh, their finances. It was a center of banking and finance known throughout the Roman Empire. So Laodicea is known for its wealth and its financial power, okay? They're wealthy. They're snooty. They're also known for, number two, their fashion, which is interesting. It, it, uh, Laodicea specifically had renowned for, it was renowned for their soft black wool that was produced there. This wool was considered a luxury item and was, it was sought after for clothing and rugs. Laodicea at this time was uh, similar to a New York or a London in, in the fact that it was kind of, they were a trendsetter in fashion for the day. This is, they, they, they started the trends. It, it was an epicenter for fashion. And then the third thing they were known for was pharmaceuticals. So there was a famous medical school in Laodicea. And, and in this medical school, they produced this tablet. And if you mix this tablet with water and you crushed it, it would create a paste. And this paste was specifically used for the eyes. And apparently this type of medicine, it cured all types of diseases, sicknesses, and illness related to the eyes. So there's a, a lot of good things going on in Laodicea. Um, I think it's a place where people take pride in being from. They take pride in being a part of all the city has to offer. But there's one problem with Laodicea. There's one problem. They uh, don't have any really ready source of water. So either through canals or through pipes or they have to bring in water from neighboring cities. There's a city up north, Hierapolis, and, and, and they pipe in um, the water from there. They have these hot springs, basically, um, in the mountains, and they, and they pipe that in. They pipe in, or not in the mountains, I'm sorry, in the valleys, and they pipe in the, the water from the hot springs. And then there's um, a, a, a city to the right, Colosseum, and they're bringing in, they have fresh, cold water drinking, you know, it's like this really cold water, and they, and they pipe that into the city. But the problem is, it takes so long because they're miles away, both cities, as the water comes into the city, even though it starts off really hot, even though it starts off really cold over here, by the time it gets in, it's just kind of 
lukewarm. It's, it's lost its cold. It's lost its hot. It's just there. It's lukewarm. So with all that in mind, all that laid out, all the foundation set, let's take a peek at what Jesus has to say to the church in Laodicea. We're in Revelation 3, verses 15 through 19. Jesus, has, Jesus is saying this to John, so John will go tell Laodicea this. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot or cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. You say, I- I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you, buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. You can see where Jesus is using some of what's going on in the city. He's using some of what's going on to the town, not to talk about uh, what, things in the flesh, but he, there's spiritual symbolism taking place here too. In verse 19, he says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. He says, you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. So, I, so I'd, I'd spit you out of my mouth. And then he says, you think you're all good. You think you have things under control. You, you think you're without need. You don't feel like you have a need for me. He says, but you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I think we see two uh, big problems with the church in Laodicea. And it's one, I think they have a problem with their passion. They're neither hot nor cold. They're lukewarm. And when Jesus refers to Laodicea as being lukewarm, I I really think what he's saying is is you've lost your hunger and your thirst for the things of God. He's saying there's there's no zeal in your spirit. There's no urgency to build my kingdom. There's no enthusiasm in serving the Lord. You're lukewarm. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're just existing and you're distracted by the demands of life. You're lukewarm. And then number two, not only did they have a problem with their passion, but I think they had a problem with their perspective. Remember, Jesus says, you say, he's like, you guys think, I'm rich, I have everything I want, I don't, I don't need a thing. And Jesus says, but you don't realize you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The church of Laodicea is convinced that because they're without material lack, because they're without physical lack, because they're wealthy, right? They have money coming into the town, this banking epicenter. There's a a, a great economy taking place. There's no sense in really pursuing any intimacy with Jesus. They're like, ah, we got it. We don't really need you. But how many know material things don't save your soul, right? They believe their lie that because they're without need, they're good. But how many know everything minus Jesus equals nothing? Everything minus Jesus equals nothing. And Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? He says you're neither hot nor cold. 
So I wrestled with how to conclude this message. How many have heard a message before on not being hot or not being cold? Some of y'all are lying in here. I know y'all have heard about a youth camp or something like that. <laughs> you gotta be hot on fire for Jesus. You gotta be burning with passion, right? And there was part of me that felt like the way I was supposed to carry out this message, the way I was supposed to wrap this thing up is to turn blue in the face, get the veins popping out of my neck, yelling at y'all. I mean, y'all have seen it before, right? Like, I, I need to charge our people up to really be passionate about Jesus and the things of God, to be on fire for the Lord. And if I scream until I'm blue in the face, then surely that will shake us from our apathy and we'll be ready to serve Jesus and love him with everything in us. But instead, I felt the Lord put in my heart to share with you the real danger of being lukewarm Christians. Remember, God says you're neither hot nor cold. And maybe in church, you've heard it put into this context like this. It sounds something like you need to either be burning hot with passion for Jesus, right? Totally sold out. Come on, anyone heard that? On fire for Jesus. You gotta love it. Or it's better to be freezing cold and totally uninvolved with the things of God and to not even know that. I would rather have you be like that than to have one foot in and one foot out and be this lukewarm Christian. Y'all heard it in that context. And there's this assumption that you need to either be hot or you need to be cold. Hot, positive connotation, cold, negative connotation. But what if I told you that when God said, I'd rather you be one or the other, he meant it. He was actually saying, I, 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 whether, you're, whether you're on fire hot or you're freezing, I'd rather you be hot or cold. I don't want you to be lukewarm. So as I, as I took time, this week studying, digging around. I found that both the hot water from Hierapolis and, and the cold water from Colossae, both, both of them were useful and purposeful. So the, so the cold water coming in from Colossae in, in its cold form before it got lukewarm, it was refreshing. It was good for drinking, right? And, and then I looked at uh, the, the water from Hierapolis the, the, the hot springs where the water was coming in and, and the hot springs were useful for healing and washing and hygiene for taking care of their muscles. There was great purpose in the water being hot or cold. It's almost as if God is, is saying to the church in, in Laodicea, listen, I created and empowered you to be useful in my kingdom work. I want you to partner with me in reaching the world. I don't care what that looks like. I don't care if you do it through a hot spring or if you're cold and refreshing, but I want you to be purposeful and useful. Don't be lukewarm. Don't be nothing. Don't be nothing. Like, what is lukewarm water useful for? I'm so glad you asked. Because in my study, I found one thing it was useful for pulled this right out of an article. I promise I, I, I didn't manipulate it to say what I wanted it to say. Listen to this. Lukewarm temperatures find applications in cooking, especially for dishes involving yeast. Everyone say yeast. When, oh, this is, <laughs> when cooking a dish that includes yeast, one is required to add lukewarm water to act 
cold water deprives, listen, everyone say cold. Cold water deprives the yeast of necessary energy to rise. Cold water deactivates the yeast. While overly hot water will overactivate the yeast and kill it. But if it's lukewarm, everyone say lukewarm. But if it's lukewarm, it'll spread. It activates it. Yes, Jesus was the bread of life. But remember, we're made in his image. We're all a bunch of little batches of dough. Right? Come on. Dough boys. But when Eve took a bite of that fruit, when Adam, when, 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 when evil entered the world, we all got a little bit of yeast in us. We all got a little bit of yeast in these dough boys. We've all been infected by evil. And the danger of living lukewarm Christians' lives is the fact that in our souls we create this environment that activates yeast. Evil can spread and grow and expand. You'll notice yeast doesn't thrive in hot water. Yeast doesn't thrive in cold water. Like, let, let's be honest. I, I, I can sit here and I can pro, pro, passionately proclaim, you, you got to be all in. You got to be fired up for Jesus. You need to lay down your life and pick up the things of God and put down the things of the devil. And it's all true. It's all true. But come on, y'all have been coming here long enough. Y'all have been in American culture long enough. Y'all know that. Y'all know you need to pray. You know you need to read your Bible. You know you need to fast occasionally throughout the year to create greater intimacy with God, a greater sensitivity. You know you need to develop relationships that are going to strengthen you, right? These are all spiritual disciplines. If you're not doing them, do them. Come on. Are we, tr are we trying to follow Jesus or not? Are we trying to be who he's called us to be or not? Right? Like, are, are we trying to live a life worthy of our calling or not? I don't, need to, I don't need to stay up here for 15 minutes and yell at you, pick up the word, serve Jesus. Y'all need to serve Jesus. And I think we know that. I think instead what we need to hear in this room is that living apathetic, lukewarm Christian lives, you're most likely not contributing to the building and the growing of the kingdom of God but you might be affecting it negatively. I think about that man from 1 Corinthians 5, how Paul actually thought it was best he be removed because his sin had the potential to spread through and infect the entire body. And I think on, on my sin, and I think on our sin, and I, and, I, and I think on my apathy and think, ha, have I allowed yeast to spread through my body? Have I allowed evil to fester and grow in me? Is the church missing out on blessing be, because of, uh, we're neither hot nor cold and we're just, we're living lukewarm? Remember what Jesus said about lukewarm water? He said, I, I spit that kind of water out of my mouth. So church, I, th I think we need to look inwardly and, and, and give the Holy Spirit permission, search my heart and ask God, where have I been lukewarm, God? Because it's the last thing I wanna be. I think of that quote earlier, right? As the Jews celebrate Passover with unleavened bread, believers celebrate their continual Passover 
right? Their continual Passover with unleavened lives. My life is going to show the goodness of God. My life is going to illuminate the peace of God, right? My life is going to show the self-control that God gives us. My life is going to be a testimony of who God is and what he does and his people and what this kingdom of heaven is all about. I think a powerful thought to ponder is this. If Jesus, right, wrote, uh, wrote a letter to the church of Mark, not the church of Laodicea, but the church of Mark or the church of Abbey, right, or the church of Amber, come on, what would that letter say? What would Jesus say about the way we live, the way we act, the way we think? Are there areas of my life that he would confront and rebuke? Are there areas of my life that he would be pleased with the way that I live? Jesus said, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. So here you are, church. If you're lukewarm, allow the Spirit to search your heart. Why? And turn from it. Come on, either head north to Hierapolis or, or head east to Colossia. Colossia. We've talked about this in every, in every single message that we've done. Jesus, sure, maybe he has you know, good words or harsh words or a combination of both, but he always finishes these letters uh, writing to the churches. He, he's giving them time to repent. And everybody in the room, God is allowing you time right now to, to repent. I, I wanna finish, he actually finishes the letter to Laodicea. Maybe you've heard this verse. But Revelation 3, 20, verses 20 through 21, it says this. This is Jesus writing. He says, he says, look. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. Like I knock. If, if you hear my voice and open, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. And those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne. Just I was as victorious and sat with them. And here's the deal. You can try and go through this life and be a good person. You can try and white knuckle your behavior and, 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 and live a good life and, and, and do a good job, but there's only one person who makes us good and he's knocking on the door of our hearts saying, let me in. I can transform every part. I'll empower you with my Holy Spirit to make this thing a whole lot easier, but I am the way. You're never gonna be good enough. That little bit of yeast, there's only one way to get rid of the yeast, right? There's only one way to permanently kill it and remove it from the dough, and that's to allow me to clothe you in my white robe and make you whole, to wash away your entire sin. He says, here I am. I'm knocking on the door of your heart. And church, that, man, that, that message is for you too. He's knocking on the door of your hearts. Eyes closed in the room. Eyes closed. And that's you, and you're saying, you know what? I've been apathetic. I, I haven't really given Jesus my life, but, but I'm ready to hand him my whole heart my whole heart. That's you. Would you put your hand up in the air and say, man, I'm ready. I'm ready to give him my whole life and my whole heart. Good, I'm seeing a hand. Come on, is there anybody else? I see another one. Come on, let's stand up. I want to I say a prayer together really quick. The Bible says in Romans, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. Jesus is everything. So I want to take a moment collectively to confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord. Come on, how do we feel about a couple people raising their hands in here?
But this prayer isn't where it finishes. This prayer is where we just get started, okay? Would y'all repeat after me? Jesus, we confess with our mouths and we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord. Father, thank you for taking my sin. Thank you for filling me with your Holy Spirit. Make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. Come on. Let's give it up for Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.